Well, we are continuing our series through the book of Nehemiah, which tells the story of God's people rebuilding the city of God. Nehemiah is all about building a new Jerusalem, which, as we see in the book of Revelation, is precisely what the church is called to do today. We are called to build a new Jerusalem, and so we're turning to the book of Nehemiah in order to learn how to do just that. Last week we saw, we saw rejoicing and feasting in light of the word of God coming to bear on the people of Israel. And a focus in chapters 7 and 8 was asking the question, what good is a holy city without a holy people to dwell within it? As Drew pointed out, at, at this point in the book, the wall has been built And so the rest of the book is about reforming a holy people to live in that city. They were remembering who they were before God and reorienting themselves to their purpose as a holy nation. And we'll see that continue this morning as as feasting gives gives way to fasting, joy to sorrow. In chapter 9, we're going to see the the result of God's sinful people being being confronted with God's word and and the truth of who he is and who they are. And that result is deep repentance and covenant renewal. But we'll get there. Here's where we're headed. Um, I, I want us to see in this chapter that God is way better than we think. And we are way worse than we think. And then what the appropriate response to that realization is. We'll, we'll look briefly at some liturgical implications for our Sunday service here. And, and see how through God's grace our covenant with him is renewed. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter through again. Mario did a wonderful job with that. But if you remember from hearing it, the the most glaring part of the chapter is, is this deep, true confession of the people. Because remember, the goal was not just to build the physical walls of this city. God was building up the people within the walls, consecrating them calling them to to a reformed purpose for his glory. A deep renewal was required within the walls and in the hearts of the people. And we'll see that, that deep renewal requires honest confession. Deep renewal requires honest confession. Real quick, let me... Let me say this at the outset about about confession. See, the the point of confession isn't that we make God aware of of the ways in which which we've sinned, like he needs us to tell him, but but rather that that we would know, and and not just just know, but but be humble enough to admit that, that we are wrong and that we need him. A sign of Christian maturity is is an increased willingness to confess our sins. We have to do the work. We have to be quick to say, Lord, have mercy. And and to go to others and say, I was wrong. I was wrong are hard words to speak, but they're so important. And and Lord, have mercy should should be familiar to our lips. 
We don't want to admit our wrong. And we totally misunderstand God's, God's eagerness to forgive. We imagine God as a, just wait till your father gets home, God. So we hide and we pretend, just like in the garden. But there's real freedom in confession. I hope we'll see that. God is a God ready to forgive. So let's start from the beginning of chapter 9. Uh, so after, after the wall was completed and after the, the Feast of Booths that we saw last week in chapter 8, uh, a time of abundant joy, the time had come for sorrow and, and fasting and, and crying out to God for deliverance. It says in verse 1, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So, so two things here. One is, is that these were the, the fasting and, the, and the, um, the, sorry, the, the dirt on their heads and the sackcloth. That it was, they were outward expressions of their inward state. They were, they were full of humiliation and, and sorrow and, and, and they gave glory to God as we'll see and they took shame on themselves and stirred up one another to repentance. The people were instructed back in chapter 8 not to weep. But now they're told to weep. The, the joy of feasting has to give way to the sorrow of fasting when, when the time comes. Everything is beautiful in its season, as the Bible wisely teaches and then the, the second thing that we see is this, is this separation. The Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And so that, that's not because the, those outside of the people of God were, uh, were perfect and hadn't sinned and, and didn't need his grace and forgiveness, but, but this was a reformation and a rebuilding uh, specific to the people of God. This was in-house business. They weren't confessing the sins out there, but rather they were, and we are, called to confess the sins in here. We are the ones that break covenant with Almighty God. As we heard in our reading from 1 Peter 4, judgment begins in the household of the Lord. We see the reason for all this in in verse 36, they say, Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. So the people are earnest in their crying out. And they engage in their distress by, by praying back to God his own story. The, the history of Israel. Chapter 9 is, is a prayer. And so a lot of what we see in the first half is simply hearing God's word. Hearing what, what he has done and, and how he has acted. Because God gets the first word. God speaks and we respond. 
We see this in scripture, and it, and it also impacts the way that we worship, as, as we'll get to. But we see in the first half of this prayer that <clears throat> Ezra and those with him, are, they're overwhelmed by the greatness of God. And that's really an important place to begin. They, they allow the weight of who God is and what he has done to have its way with them. And we must do the same. And as we do that, then we'll see that God is way better than we think. And this chapter is overflowing with ways that, that God is better than we think. Just look at verse 6 where they start. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord. Allow the weight of who God is and what he has done to have its way. So I want to just list the, the ways that God is, is recognized in praise here in this chapter. Uh, just, just big picture, though. Throughout, throughout the prayer, we see that God is the God who acts in history. God doesn't reveal himself in, in ideas and philosophies. He reveals himself in history. Real events that happened and are happening on this planet. If God revealed himself in, in ideas and philosophies, then, then we would need to make it our goal to, to escape and, and, and find the truth out there. But he is the Lord of heaven and earth and everything. And he acts and reveals himself in history. Okay, we'll go through these a little quicker. God makes and keeps his covenant. We see in verse 8, and that'll be very important later. God sees the affliction of his people. Verse 9. Are you glad that God sees you? God rescues his people. Verse 11. God reveals himself and his ways. Verses 13 and 14. How amazing is that? How kind and gracious is that? that? That we would not know God at all. If he didn't reveal himself and make himself known. God provides for physical needs. Verse 15. God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 17. God gives land, power, and provision. Verse 22 through 25. God repeatedly forgives. Amen. Verse 28. And he not only forgives, but he patiently warns. Verse 30 says, Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. God is great, mighty, and awesome. Verse 32. God deals with his people righteously and faithfully. Verse 33. God is way better than we think. But, but what does this do? What, what does hearing this and, and knowing this do? Well, I, I hope that it does more than make us go, oh, that's cool, and then move on. It, it ought to stir us to action, right? And, and this is where the beginning of our liturgy fits in, right? We're, we're called into God's presence by him, 
by his own word and, and we recognize and we praise him for who he is and what he's done. And then by that calling and that revelation, we are made aware of our own sinfulness and that, and that we are not worthy to be in his presence. We are not owed anything because we are way worse than we think. Chapter 9 is a confession, after all. And the people not only confess who God is, but, but who they are as well. And this isn't just a bland confession of, we are sinners. They, they actually use nine specific descriptions of their sins. And, and this, is, this is what they say. They're, they're saying, we are, um, and when they say we by inclusion in the family of God through the grace of Jesus, we can read and say, we. We are repeatedly unfaithful, they say. We are disobedient. And this, this isn't just an accidental, whoops, stumbling into sin. This is willfully not doing what God says. We are presumptuous, If you don't know what that means, it means that we show little respect for God. And we do things that we have no right to do. And even with our chests out, like we maybe don't believe that God can do anything about it. We are presumptuous. We are stiff-necked. We are idolatrous. We are blasphemous. We are rebellious. We disregard God's word. We are evil and wicked. We are way worse than we think. Yes, this was a confession of God's people in the Old Testament, but but we are not immune. And and we will not experience true renewal and, and success in building up the church and the city of God until we are honest about who we are when we're not walking in the power of the Spirit. So every Sunday, after hearing the truth of who God is and what he's done, we then confess our sins, individually and then corporately. And to be clear, Sunday morning isn't the only time that we ought to be confessing our sins and trusting in God for his gracious forgiveness. It ought to be a a daily practice. But Sunday morning is a significant piece in the, the building project. We pray out loud, together, with one voice, corporately. Together we admit to God and to those around us our collective need for his mercy and forgiveness. The act of corporate confession isn't to say we've all sinned in different ways. But rather, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like the Israelites, we all collectively have not loved God with our whole heart. We all collectively have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Corporate confession, like what we see in the book of Nehemiah, unites us. It it builds us up and it stirs one another to right action before God. In verse 33, the people say to God, you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. 
For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. This is real confession. Recognizing that God is right and we are wrong. And confession is agreeing with God about both things. Israel needed to come again to the place of knowing who God is and knowing who they were. And we need to come again to the place of knowing who God is and who we are. And listen, humble confession isn't the only option that we have. It's the right one. But, but there are other responses that, that we can have. After hearing all this, we might respond, well, not me. We might even deny parts of it. Like, I might be disobedient sometimes, but wicked? Not wicked. And to that, I would quote 1 John 1, eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Some might respond, well, I'll, I'll fix this. I, I can make this right. And to that, I would say, ha. This story in the, in the book of Nehemiah is taking place a thousand years after the exodus. When the covenant was already renewed. And so the odds are not very good. After such a long history of failure, failure that trying to do it on your own is going to go any better. The odds are not good and, and the hope is not great. But a third response is, I confess. Again, from 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess that we are truly as disobedient and idolatrous and rebellious and wicked as we really are. He is faithful. God is way better than we think. But he, he, he's not only faithful. It, it says that he's faithful and just to forgive us. And that seems odd, right? If, if God is just, then confessing just how sinful I am seems like the last thing that I'd want to do. So, so why is God just to forgive our sins? Because if, if we are in Christ, then our sins has, have been paid for by Christ. And it, and it would be cruel and wrong of God to, to hold against us sins that have already been placed on him. If we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us. And it gets better. He'll, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This, this isn't to say that we get to the point of, of not sinning, but, but we pe- become quicker and quicker to confess. Quicker to say, I was wrong. Quicker to say, Lord, have mercy. The chapter ends with a description of, of covenant renewal, and we'll hear more of that next week. But verse 38 says, because of all this, because of knowing who you are and who we are, 
Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. See, whenever God's people faced a, a major new chapter in, in their journey, they were, they were led to renew their covenantal vows. In, in Joshua 24, before they entered the promised land, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, as, as they begin a time of being ruled by kings, and here in Nehemiah 9, as they return from Babylonian exile, the people of Israel engaged in covenantal renewal. And this is what our worship culminates in. We are called by God into his presence. We confess our sins and God cleanses us. We hear God's word and and through it we're consecrated in his truth. God communes with us through a meal. And then God commissions us. He sends us out with his blessing to serve him and the world. Every Sunday, we come to worship our covenant-making God. We are reminded of his covenant promises and and once again renew our covenant commitment. And a necessary part in all of it is confession. To, To be able to even enter into his presence. As we are building up the city of God, Christ's church, we must be a people of humble confession. And we're in a unique place as a church plant. And and we're building right here, right now. So as we gather week after week, would we see our confession, our repentance as, as real work? in building up the city of God? Would, would we be a people eager to renew our covenant with our God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness? And, and when we appropriately understand what is happening here as we gather and, and when we have an accurate view of God and ourselves and act accordingly, then, then we'll be spurred on to live Monday through Saturday in light of God's faithfulness and grace and forgiveness. In light of our role as, as kingdom workers. And in light of the, of the future hope of glory in the completed city of God for the cities of man. We can live in the glory of renewed covenant with God. 18th century pastor and theologian and hymn writer John Wesley penned this covenant prayer that I'd like to end with. So please pray this with me. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.